Welcome into the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we're talking about the NBA playoffs and what's happening there. We'll also have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on the post notifications for Justin Time Sports social media wherever you get your favorite social medias, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Now, if you're a retirement member, you know what I'm about to say. But if you're new here, sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. A little bit of a late night edition uh, record after the Heat Celtics um, post game wrapped up. Definitely wanted to jump on um, and talk to you guys about kind of the series, the past couple of series, um, the the conference finals in general. I ironically, did this anticipating a Miami victory. I was kind of going to lead into it with the NBA Finals being the main focus point and just talk about what happened in the last two series, but then really focusing on the NBA Finals, which again, I thought would be decided probably about an hour and a half ago, um, being Nuggets Heat, uh, completing the first ever Conference Finals with two sweeps, um, having the record, the number one overall record, um, Denver Nuggets against the eight seed play and loser round one Miami Heat like had that battle in my head already again I always been thinking it'd end up that way uh, but you're losing some of the historical battle or historical value rather without having the two teams uh, sweep um, for the NBA NBA calendar it's great for them had the Heat won tonight it would have been nine days without NBA basketball um, because you know these playoff rounds are set they don't just move them up uh, just because teams get done these things are set with arena dates flights uh, he would plan for this sort of thing. So, like, these things are set in stone already. Pretty much the start of the season. It's laid out for every series to have a seven-game series. That's why teams get finished early, and they have three, four, five days off between series because the schedule says the next round can't start um, before a certain point. Um, but, again, if the Miami Heat had one tonight, it would have been nine days by the NBA basketball. It's a pretty big gap. Now, the WNBA is back. Uh, NHL's having their uh, playoffs. Baseball is in full swing, but nine days um, is pretty long without NBA basketball. Um, so, good news for the NBA and their calendar is that the Celtics managed to win a game. We're going to start off in the West. Uh, the West is over. Um, the Denver Nuggets swept LeBron James and the, and the Lakers um, 4-0. It's the third time in LeBron's career, 28th career, he's been swept in the playoffs. Um, one time in the finals to uh, Golden State. Maybe twice in the finals to Golden State. Definitely one time in the finals to Golden State. Oh, uh, the finals against the San Antonio Spurs. He was swept, and then he's been swept now uh, in the Western Conference Finals. I, I struggle to know how to attack, which angle to attack this from. I know I'm going to ultimately end this. I got to start with the Nuggets. If they won, I'm going to start with the Nuggets. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who watched that series, that big fella number 15 is the best player on planet Earth. It's the first time in a long time that the best player on Earth title has changed hands so frequently. Um, 
from about 1988, 87 to 1996, Michael Jordan was the unquestioned best player on the planet. Then to me, you get Shaq. Um, from like 97 or whatever, or 1998, from 86 to 98, to 98, Jordan's the unquestioned best player on the planet. 2000, I mean, 1999 to 2004, 2005, 2004, it's Shaq, 2005, 2007, you can argue Duncan or Kobe, from 2007 to like 2018, it's LeBron, 2019 really is LeBron, Giannis wrestles it from LeBron's hands, and now it looks like Jokic just wrestled it from Giannis' hands, um, He's the number one player in the world. There isn't a thing on the basketball court he can't do. And he's even his weakness, quote-unquote, of defending, he defended at a high level for three to four games. Like game one was a little rough for him defensively, but he defended at a pretty legit level, games two, three, and four. Um, and if you look at defensive analytics, he's actually, analytically, the fifth best defensive player of all time. Now, obviously, we know that number's a little off. Uh, there's some extenuating circumstances in there. But he play legitimate defense uh, during the Western Conference Finals, like I said, in games two, three, and four. Um, he made some ridiculous shots. He made two off-balance threes of Anthony Davis during the series. I just made AD look at him. One AD laughed. The other just looked at him and shook his head. Um, great pass after great pass. I believe in four in the four-game series, he had three triple-doubles. Um, he had a triple-double through two and a half quarters of game one. He basically had a triple-double at halftime. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous what Jokic can do uh, with the basketball at all times. It looks like, and, I, and it's a funny description, I heard it on the Hoop Collective, I believe. It looks like he's playing with a Nerf ball. It looks like somebody gave a Nerf ball to an older child and told him how to like and play against younger children. Where he's moving the ball and bending the ball and... All I need to go to school, I'll flip in a bucket. All I need to hit a three, I'll knock in a three. Like, it's just absolutely spectacular to watch. It's sort of like what happened when Luka got to superstardom, and it was great pass, the flashy pass, after flashy pass, after turnover, great pass, flashy pass, turnover, made basket. Like, but that flashy pass assist was just, it was easy for him, Luka, in the open court. And Yoke's just having similar success, where he is just an absolute wizard with the ball in his hand in the open court. What makes him even crazier than Luka. Luka's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, Yoke is just 7'. Um, and so having that ability that Yoke has is very incredibly rare. Um, and so to me, he's the number one player on planet Earth. Um, again, Giannis had it. I think it was just rustled away uh, by Nikola Jokic. Jamal Murray is back. He is back full-fledged. He was hitting step-back threes on Anthony Davis. The mid-range is absolutely deadly. Um, you went over a screen or died on a screen, rather. You know, he's hitting the mid-range jumper. He was he had it going, going to the rim. Um, he is truly back. Um, again, we saw him get injured two playoffs ago. Missed all of last season, obviously. And he came back this year, and he's just... It doesn't look like he lost a step at all. You know, so kudos uh, to Jamal Murray, the Canadian arrow. Uh, he's absolutely playing spectacular basketball right now. 
And I think that for the era of a super team, it hurts. And I think for the small ball era, Denver being successful also hurts. Um, start off with the small ball era. This is quickest point. Jokic is Jokic. So you know if you're in the West, you're going to have to go through Jokic. It's like in the East, you got to go through Embiid and Giannis. In the West, you're going to have to go through Jokic. If you don't have a center that can guard him, or he's a strategy to make his life difficult, you're in trouble because he's going to make your life difficult every single time. So you're going to have to work really hard in order to um, get the size acclimated. Because Anthony Davis couldn't do it. Dwight Howard did it, but he hadn't done it in two, three years. Um, I'm not sure who slows down Jokic. I'm sure that there's some team he just doesn't put up the averages, and maybe that guy gets very high, becomes a very hot commodity this offseason as people look for ways to slow down or even stop Jokic. Um, and so I'm sure there's a guy who has put analytic numbers against him. Um, Rui Hachimori didn't do a half the bad job, but in the end, he's too small. Um, so Jokic is going to change the way the NBA is scouted and the way the NBA is covered because he's a, he's a monster. And he's, a, he's a big guy. Uh, he's a true five. Um, so he's going to make people invest back into bigs. But it also goes into the fact that the NBA draft is not dead. Nikola Jokic was a second-round pick. Jamal Murray was a final, one of, if not the final pick swap in the Carmelo Anthony trade, which considering you know Carmelo Anthony's news recently, it's kind of funny. Uh, Jamal Murray was the last pick in that pick swap. Um, you know, Aaron Gordon was a reasonable acquisition. KCP was a reasonable acquisition. Looking forward to it. Pretty much they only had two drafted guys that matter, but the rest of the guys were acquired with injuries in mind. Um, so, like, a few years ago, you had Michael Porter Jr. with the back. And about two years ago, Jamal Murray tears the ACL, proceeds to miss the um, entire last season. And, of course, he's coming out healthy this year. So, when you acquire guys like KCP, when you acquire guys like Bruce Brown, when you acquire guys like Braun, you know, when you acquire about these guys who really don't play a whole lot in the middle rotation, if at all, except for KCP, he plays a good bit. You know, Brown's playing recently, but like Braun and these guys, these guys were there because of the injuries of the players. You know, you had to get the shots like Javon Murray, or you had to get the spacing with Michael Porter. Like, you may be in a bad out of position spot, but you're here because you're the best fit to try to try and fill the role of whoever you're trying to replace. Much easier to replace Michael Porter Jr. than it is to replace Jamal Murray um, as University of Kentucky. And it also continues a streak of international dominance. Who did I speak of was the guys in the East earlier. I spoke about them. I was like, man, if you're in the West, you got to go through Jokic. But, man, if you're in the East, you got to go through, you know, Embiid. You got to go through the Sixers. You got to go through Boston. You got to go through a healthy Milwaukee more than likely. Um, but the international guys have taken over. You know, Joel Embiid is at the top. Luka is at the top. Giannis is at the top. Um... Anthony Davis is coming out at the top. Like, these guys are absolute giants, and yet they are um, giants in their game, you know, and they're going to continue to expand the market. And so I love the fact that international plays everywhere, uh, but it's going to, so to truly expand the NBA's global footprint. 
Also, it provides more competition for our young players trying to get noticed. Um, it gives an opportunity for like those leagues, there's more competition for our players to get noticed. So Europe, China, Australia, you know, these guys want to sign an American player for a year, a young American player. That international scout can now see, you know, whoever they're scouting on the C League team in France, along with the American prospect who happens to be in the same league, um, and try to get his own exposure. So, you know, these international guys, man, it's like they're bringing in more revenue. Say, Jokic is from Slovenia. No, not Jokic from Slovenia. Lucas from Slovenia. Jokic is from Serbia. Um, Giannis is um, from Greece by way of Nigeria. Embiid is from Sudan. Like um, these guys are just, and that's just the first four off the top of my head. And these guys are really expanding the global reach of the NBA. And if you're an NBA sport, you should not be any prouder. I mean, you couldn't be any prouder of these guys. But now we're going to shift to the other side. The Los Angeles Lakers, the side I'm hurting with, you guys know I'm a LeBron guy. I had Lakers in six before the series started. Um, it ended up being Lakers none, and the series ended. Um, and we're going to... We're going to start off with the LeBron interview at the end. I don't, I don't want to talk about his game. I'm, I probably won't mention his game. I probably won't mention the 40 points, um, the 10 rebounds, the 9 assists. I probably won't even mention that. I probably won't even mention the fact that he had 31 in the first half, including making four or five threes. I, probably, I won't mention that. You know? I won't mention that the fact that Anthony Davis literally never got off the bus offensively. Rui Hachimura <coughs> still, excuse me, still playing in Washington offensively. Um, I'm not gonna mention that. LeBron in his post in the post game interview has got everybody's attention. You know, he's sitting up there and they're asking about Carmelo's retirement and the, the topic. Lee Dave McMenamin asked it. Topic gets broke, brokered. Would he consider retirement this offseason? And ultimately, he gives an answer that is interesting. It, it can be folded in a lot of different ways. You kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. If you're one of those guys that just an athlete said it, let's go with it, then you're kind of you're kind of aware right now LeBron could retire. If you're one of those people that's like, I know LeBron, and I know how he moves at times where he needs public sentiment, this will be his time um, to, to get that what he was looking for, which is that public, to me, um, dismissal of how he kind of played the first three games and how bad his team was, teammates was in game four. I think he's just using the opportunity uh, to kind of hype himself, uh, trying to get himself ready for his first real rehab um, after that foot gets looked at, which I believe he'll be diagnosed with torn tendons in the foot and maybe some bruising due to not coming in right away. Um, well, I mean, it was examined, but he went to the LeBron James of feet and told him, don't worry about the surgery, at least for right now. Um, but it was the first time in the interview that he wasn't, like, that mad or despondent or whatever. He looked like he accepted it. He looked like he accepted that if that was his last one, he went out with 40, 10, and 9. Um, so, like I say, it, it was... It looked accepting. Now, it can also be in a genius PR move. Ignore the fact that we got swept. Focus on the fact that I could retire. And with so many people in main media tying their careers to LeBron James, it's a huge story. 
because if he walks away, you can see thousands of jobs close in, in sports media because those guys are either anti-LeBron or pro-LeBron to the point where their show is pretty much that. Um, and so these guys don't have LeBron to discuss. Who knows what they're going to discuss? Um, but I'm sure they will figure it out. Um, anyway, back to the on-court Lakers, or LeBron rather. He seemed accepting. I just don't think he's retiring. I think he softened up his stance a few months ago about playing with Bronny. He kind of went like, well, that's not his. No, no, he wants to do it. That's really not what I want to do. And LeBron's been big on letting Bronny choose his own path as much as the name LeBron James Jr. lets you choose it. So I think he'll take a week or so, you know, kind of recover, see what his foot options are, kind of get a plan for the offseason before going back in and meeting with the Lakers, trying to get a plan uh, together for next season. Um, you know, to me, it was a multifold ploy. It was a complete and total distraction from what actually happened in the series. It was a message to the Lakers, give me better help or I leave. And it was a message to Kyrie, like, yo, there's a spot available here if you want it. Uh, this is at least the second time Kyrie showed up to a Laker game, like a playoff game courtside. Um, and so I think he could be eyeing the Lakers if and when he were to get um, into free agency, which is July 1. Well, I mean, the moratorium period starts a little early, but yeah, July 1 would be very interesting for multiple teams um, as far as D'Angelo Russell and services. Um, but what does LA do next? And I think the, 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 the basic answer has been to run it back. Just really bring everybody back. Vanderbilt, D'Lo, whatever. Because Angela Russell shot absolutely horrible. Anthony Davis played absolutely terrible the last couple of games offensively. Um, but in the second half of the year with this roster, they had the second best roster. They had the second best record in the NBA. So I say running back. It gives them a full offseason to get their lives together. Austin Reeves might go and get a leg tat. Um, you know, you, they, you hire you hire Ty Lue as the head man. Um if you get rid of Darvin Ham. Now, I don't advocate getting rid of Darvin Ham at all. I want Darvin Ham actually extended. But if I'm the Lakers, I'm looking to either run it back or completely blow it up, starting with the fact that you ship Anthony Davis and LeBron James wherever they want to go. Um, and then you just totally tear down all the ways they can go, um, getting as many draft picks as they can get. Um, so, pretty uh, interesting offseason for the Lakers. They've got to make a choice, and they got to make it fast. Me, personally, given those two options, I say run it back. The team's actually pretty good. Um, but in a dream world for the Lakers, you go out and you just go get Kyrie Irving. You just say, Kyrie, we understand the baggage, but you just do it because you got to make LeBron happy. Um, and so that is the situation that they're in is making LeBron happy. And if he decides he wants Kyrie Irving, you're pretty much in a bad spot there. But, all right, but now we're going to shift to the series I thought would be over by now. Um, and that is Boston-Miami. Um, kudos to the Boston Celtics. They stayed alive. Not a person on Miami. Not necessarily in game five. Now, if you're the Miami Heat, you want to win in game five. That's be all three games in Boston would be victories for the Miami Heat. Um, but... To say they were up 3-0 and still had, you know, a vast majority of the car not believe me because they saw the 3.0 
is insane. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but kudos to the Boston Celtics for surviving. Jason Taylor with a huge game, 34-11-7, members heard that correctly. But he had 25 in the second half. Um, so when the going got tough, he was able to fight through it. Because he had like 25 in the second half. Um, after just having a miserable first half. It's very reminiscent of game six against Philly, where he had a miserable first half, and it comes out in the second half absolutely cooking. Um, and turns it on and wins that game in Philly. Uh, so he's going to have to do it a few more times. going to have to turn it on in Boston. Well, Boston, a role player should help out a little more. He'll have to turn it on in game six, and I don't even know the energy of the home for game seven. Um, so it's going to be an electric series. Like I said, I think that um, Boston's talent eventually may start outworking Larry Spolster's coaching gap. Because right now, Spolster is considered by many, including myself, as the best coach in the NBA. Joe Mazzulla is probably the worst head coach in the NBA. So that gap showed in the first three games. But in this past game, game four, the talent kind of took over. So Tatum and Brown just kind of wheeled that game to the finish line in game four. Only they do the same in game five. If they win game five, it gets really pressurized on the Heat, who really need the task of winning this series in six. Because if it gets back to Boston Garden for game seven, I honestly don't like your chances there. Um, if you are the Miami Heat, I don't like your chances there to win the Boston game seven. All the momentum would be in Boston. So if you are the Heat, you have to win game five. Because if it gets back to game six, it starts to get dark. The pressure mounts up, you know, you're stressed, you're not eating, whatever. You better win the game in game five because if it gets back to game six, it gets too interesting. It gets incredibly interesting and it gets dark um, for those on the Boston Celtics. They become a little nervous. Um, and of course, you know, I, this game has its own conundrum. Jalen Brown didn't play that well. Tatum played rough for a half in the biggest game of their respective adult NBA careers, and you're 12 months away from having them both on the roster for about $600 million with two supermaxes. Like, are you sure that is a path you want to take, or are you going to move off Jalen Brown via signing trade, get some assets back and put that supermax, or put a big contract in front of the new team? But it's a situation you don't have in the Miami Heat culture, you know, um, they were very open about the fact that, um, by they, I mean Boston, were very open about the fact that they were sluggish in game three, that they, whatever, and they're going on the road down 0-2 I'm blowing both home games. They're going to come out sluggish? Do you not want to win an NBA championship? I, it is a situation where the Miami Heat have seven undrafted players. That's a credit to Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra. Because their exposure was almost fired in 2010, but Pat Riley stuck by him, and now look at the results. Um, now, they are less successful than the Miami Heat in the past five years. Much less successful. Because, and I meant to say the Los Angeles Lakers, because the Lakers do have a title in their time period, beating the Heat. But that's not important right now. Um, heat culture is, deserves a lot of credit. They see how guys like Udonis Haslam being a vet, um, really showing these young guys how to get it done. Uh, so kudos to them. But like I said, man, Miami needs to get it done in five. If it gets to game six, it begins to get dark. Remember, you heard it here first. Um, 
And then the Phoenix Suns have, have trimmed their list down to five finalists. Uh, former Raptors head coach and champion Nick Nurse. Former Lakers head coach and champion Frank Vogel. Um, former 76ers and former champion uh, head coach Doc Rivers. Uh, Jordy Fernandez, who is a Sacramento Kings head coach. And Kevin Young, who is a Phoenix uh, Suns assistant. So, er, Fernandez, Jordy Fernandez is the um, assistant. But... The Suns, three people with head coach experience, all have titles. And so it's clear that the Phoenix Suns want a veteran coach in there who's experienced winning at the highest level, who knows how to get guys like Devin Booker and Chris Paul, who've never done that, how to get them there, um, and not just hearing it from Kevin Durant. Because apparently he is quite vocal. It's just he doesn't say anything around to the media. So, you know, having that, having that championship experience seems very vital to Matt Ishbia and the new Phoenix Suns front office um, in terms of having the head coach to lead them um, into the future. Um, you know, shout out to those guys. Like, Bogle's been out since he got fired from the Lakers. Uh, this is past year, really. Darvin Ham. But shout out to Nick Nurse and Doc Rivers. They could go from, you know, bad situations with cap issues and worries and whatever, and they can end up landing Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden. Like, what a coup. To get fired from, you know, any, any old job to that job is quite uh, spectacular with those qualifications and those recommendations. Um, so, kudos. Um, so, like I said, kudos to my HBO. He wants his guy in there. It's not somebody new. It's going to be one of the top three, the Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, or Doc Rivers. I think it's a fairly no-brainer to come from one of those three. And legitimately, I can see Doc Rivers getting that job. He's used to dealing with multiple superstars. Nick Nurse had Kawhi for an hour. Um... Frank Vogel had LeBron and AD for like two hours. But Docker has been used to dealing with superstars, used to getting them a plan of arrest, used to doing everything it's going to take for that superstar motor to be able to push all the way through the finals. Because I kind of see it on Jimmy. He's starting to burn out a little bit. Um, so I think Docker is going to end up with that job. I'm, I keep hoping Mark Jackson is going to get a job, get an interview, something. And I'm just, I'm just, uh, I don't want to give up hope, but it's getting close. Um, but the Phoenix Suns are in a unique opportunity here. They have to hire a coach ready to go win a championship right now. So that coach usually is going to be someone who already has championship experience because you know exactly what it takes to get to a title. So we'll be keeping an eye on the Phoenix Suns search. But up next, we're going to be shifting the best for last, which is going to be a, oh, a ode to Carmelo Anthony. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to jump right into Best for Last, which is going to be a discussion about Carmelo Anthony, um, the 19-year NBA veteran, the second-to-last person of the 2003 um, class, has announced his retirement um, from professional basketball. 
he finishes with um, 10 all 10 time all star, um, including 2007, 2008, missing 09, and then every year from 2010 to 2017. Um, six time all NBA selection, never making all NBA first team, but he was on the uh, second team twice, third team four, three, four times. He won the scoring title in 2013. He was all rookie first team in 2004. He was a social justice champion award winner in 2021. He's a member of the all 75 the NBA 75th anniversary team. Um, he finishes with a career lifetime average of 22.5.6.2 rebounds and 2.7 assists a game. Um, he also finishes with th- uh, three Olympic gold medals and, of course, the infamous bronze in Athens. He also got a bronze. He was also part of that bronze world championship team that was in Japan. But he did win the gold in the America Championship in uh, 2007. Um, he is considered by some as the Miss, as like Captain America in a way, for USA basketball. Uh, yeah, Kobe gets the credit for saving in terms of getting elite players to do it, but and to make it a team. But as of t- April 2016, he led the U.S. Olympic basketball team in points, rebounds, and games played. Um, and he finished his career ninth all-time in NBA scoring. You know, Carmelo Anthony burst on the scene when, in 2000, 2003 as the greatest one done in, in college basketball history. Um, not only is he an absolute bucket, he leads Syracuse to the national championship, Jim Beheim's only national championship. Um, was thanks to Carmelo Anthony. He also had battles with LeBron James in high school, thanks to both of their schools being kind of uh, big national powers. They played each other um, out of district, obviously, um, but they played each other. And you know, from all accounts, Carmelo handled LeBron that day. Uh, even early in their career, a few of Carmelo's highlights early in his Denver career over LeBron James. Um, and so that was pretty big um, that Carmelo Anthony. Of course, was early looking like he could be better than LeBron James. Of course, he ended up being Carmelo was the fifth pick out of that group. I want to say, or the fourth pick um, out of that group. But everybody grew up with me in like the uh, 2003 um, draft class. It just leaves LeBron now. Um, Carmelo Anthony is one of the best players ever to watch. You know, he's such an elite scorer. He has that fa- that hilariously famous stat line of like. 62 with it, nothing else. No rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks, nothing. It was just shot attempts. Um, absolutely spectacular. Uh, he has some crazy moments, like the big dunk uh, to open the season. He has the buzzer, but he has that back-to-back threes against the Bulls. One to tie, one to take the lead in overtime. Well, not back-to-back, but, you know, back-to-back clutch threes. Um, it was just... An amazing career to watch. There's Hoodie Mellow, there's Olympic Mellow, there's Old Man Mellow, um, you know, there's Denver, there's New York. Um, and despite, you know, his basketball faults of not really doing anything but scoring the ball, really, and his, you know, career decisions by not simply waiting a few months to get to New York but forcing the Knicks to trade for him may have cost him an opportunity to real run in a championship. And of course, he passed on being the three in the big three with uh, LeBron and Wade, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. He always seemed to choose financial security over winning, which can't blame him for that, especially with a guy who said that when he shook David Stern's hand, he'd already won because he had made it out of his hood. Um, so when you got a situation like that, 
Carmelo Anthony did what Carmelo Anthony wanted to do. He walked to the beat of his own drum. He stayed mellow. Um, nothing you could say to him really, truly affected him. So one hell of a career, Carmelo Anthony. Um, enjoy retirement. I'm, I'm sure he's going to become you know, a much bigger part of his son's life um, as he continues his basketball journey. But uh, best of luck in retirement to Carmelo Anthony. Um, hope you enjoy it. And like I said, that leaves LeBron as the last member though of the 03 draft class. Um, quite a long career. I said 19 seasons to average 22 points a game. Um, so definitely, definitely congratulations and kudos to Carmelo Anthony on one hell of a career. But that is all we have for today. Like I said, a little late night. Uh, recording session got off the rails a couple times, but we was able to reel it back in. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you guys have a you it's Wednesday, so it already is Wednesday. But I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Um, this is your host Justin Jackson signing out. <laughs>